Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Central. How are you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to this week's Tech Radio with all the latest in tech from around Ireland and the world. Thank you for downloading from our website at techcentral.ie using your favourite podcast app from your smartphone so you get the show automatically every week or indeed listening to us on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. This is our show for the week ending Friday the 26th of June and a special report for you this week from the DCU Innovation Campus where Niall from Tech Central HQ met the founders of Dacry, which is the augmented reality smart helmet that is straight out of a science fiction movie, but actually exists now. If you have a chance to uh, see the video on their homepage at Dacry.com, that's D-A-Q-R-I.com, just it will blow you away. Before we hear from them, though, Niall sat down with Roland Furlong, who is the executive director of DCU Innovation Campus, to talk about the kind of work that is going on there and the benefits of startups sharing space with multinational companies. I'm back out in the DCU Innovation Campus to uh, have a chat with Ronan Furlong, who's the executive director there. And uh, one of the interesting things about the Innovation Campus is that uh, because you've got the hacker space, which is sort of the first of its kind in Europe, I, I gather, um, uh, one of the things about it is, well, one of the many things about it is that it's a physical space, granted. It's also uh, a networking space, it's also a commercial space. It kind of is this interesting mishmash of things, and it kind of starts from literally the ground up in the design of the place. Um, how do you feel that cultivating the environment starts with the design before you get around to anything else? Okay, well, the design of the Innovation Campus is uh, sort of an interesting topic to start with. So, so this was formerly uh, Enterprise Ireland's headquarters location for the guts of 40 years. Uh, and the buildings in general sort of were of their time and, and looked quite dated when we got, their hands, when we got our hands on them. Uh, we just felt it was important to open them up a little bit, make them breathe a little bit, um, knock down a lot of the walls, the physical walls that were built in the buildings, uh, and make them much more open and collaborative. And you'll see it in the main space here, you know, the cafeteria, the auditorium, the mezzanine, the reception area, all kind of open up onto each other. And I guess hopefully engender that spirit of open innovation and collaboration and, and collegiality, I guess, between the companies who are based here. Uh, and it really is sort of a, a wonderfully varied uh, element of companies that you have here because, uh, as we were discussing earlier, I mean, it's, it's not just code that's coming out of here, it's physical objects, almost more so, really. Yeah, I think of the 30 companies we have based here, I think the vast majority of them, you know, probably 29 of the 30, their business manifests itself physically. Uh, so the likes of Shimmer Sensing with its biometric, uh, you know, wearable sensor device. Um, you know, you've got a big company like Siemens that manufactures everything from, you know, industrial automation equipment to wind turbines. Uh, basically, all of the companies here actually manufacture or design and prototype physical things, connected hardware. Now, that's not to say they're going to be manufacturing them here on site, but the design, uh, the intellectual input and the, the sort of research and development associated with those things is taking place here on the campus. Well, one of the interesting companies that you mentioned there, of course, is Siemens, uh, so a noted international uh, company, however, also playing with startups here. What do you see as being the role of multinationals sort of milling around with uh, local companies? It's not about, it's not about acquisition. 
No, not at all. In, in Siemens' case, for example, you've got a you've got a company of scale uh, looking to innovate alongside some you know fairly cutting edge startups, uh, and those startups in and of themselves are you know innovative companies looking to scale. Uh, so there's a nice kind of crossover between a big multinational like uh, Siemens and uh, you know a, an up and coming startup on a global basis like Dacry who are, who are running the hackathon here this weekend uh, so for example in that context uh, you know a massive global company like Siemens with uh, you know, a couple of hundred thousand employees and basically locations in every country in the world uh, can sit down with, a, with, with the likes of Dacry and outline some interesting industrial user cases uh, and, and start to work with that company to figure out what kind of opportunities might exist for augmented reality in the world of industrial automation, oil and gas, energy services. So it's fantastic to have their voice present in the hackathon today uh, to, you know, outline opportunity statements to the innovators and the hackers who are here uh, to challenge them to come up with problems to specific Siemens issues in the field and to use the Dacry technology while they're doing that. So it's a great marriage of, uh, as I said, you know, companies of real scale looking to get access to innovative opportunities and innovative companies like Dacry looking to scale. So there's a, there's a really good uh, fit there, I think, and it's, it's common throughout the campus. We've got the goods of 300 employees based here, uh, and they range from kind of two- and three-person startup operations to, you know, 100-person uh, big companies like Siemens, and that creates a nice dynamic in and of itself. It, it, it paints a picture to the startup companies that there's access to very interesting and broad testbed customers like Siemens and Violi and Fujitsu who are based here. Uh, and it paints a picture to those established companies that you know they can get out of their own way and talk to entrepreneurs and innovators who look at the world slightly differently. Because you know, with the best will in the world, those big companies like Siemens or Google are never going to be able to do this stuff themselves the real disruption is going to come from people who look at things really differently. Uh, and that's the value of being associated or, or, or neighboured with them here in the innovation campus. And that sort of level of disruption uh, really can occur as, as close as the next table over in the canteen, really, can't it? Yeah, yeah. So, like, we have a classic example here where the, you know, the, the, the first two companies that were based on the innovation campus, uh, one of them was an energy services company that looks after the built environment for big customers, and one of them was a sports science company developing uh, sensor technology, wearable sensor technology for monitoring elite athlete performance. So, on the face of it, those two companies had zero in common. But over a cup of coffee in the canteen, they very quickly figured out they're both in the data business, and that afforded uh, Shimmer sensing an opportunity to work with a big global multinational in the energy services area and it afforded Veolia uh, or who were Dalkey at the time now Veolia uh, it afforded them access to some really cutting edge technology that they could look at deploying in their environment in that built environment and give themselves a kind of bit of differentiation and cutting edge in the market so so very often over casual conversations, innovation kind of sparks and uh, companies can look at each other and look at their own businesses and their, and their peer businesses here in different ways and bring them down different paths. So the value of the community is every bit, if not more important, as the value of the physical bricks and mortar here. And then when you overlay the co-location opportunity with the university, really interesting things can take place between, between companies that are based here. Thank you, Ron. Cheers. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's TechCentral.ie. Tech Central.
Oh. Now, let's get into the meat and potatoes of our show for this week about real innovation with Brian Mullins and Gaia Dempsey, who are the founders of Dacry, the Augmented Reality Smart Helmet, who were in Dublin for a hackathon event, which was at DCU, where developers got to work on apps for their smart helmet and to open a new European base for working on new software and hardware. Now, just to get to the get to the nub of what Daiquiri does, uh, Daiquiri is uh, an AR company. Um, we've we've got virtual reality hogging numerous headlines at the moment. So, what is the attraction of alternate reality over virtual reality at its at the basic level? Sure. Um, yeah, it's a great question. And really, what the main difference with it, between virtual reality and augmented reality is that while with virtual reality, it's all about closing you into a virtual world, in augmented reality, you see the real world. You see all the things that are around you, and the, the digital content and information is laid on top of the real world. And, and that opens up a lot of new applications where you can move around the world, and, and it becomes very useful in things like uh, applications at work. Uh, and that kind of is the strap line of the company, actually, building, building uh, applications for the future of work. But uh, in terms of the physical product, which I, which I understand is in pre-beta at the moment, so it, it hasn't been released to the, to the general public or anything like that yet. But uh, in terms of what, what makes uh, the Daiquiri Smart Helmet work, um, as opposed to the Oculus Rift, which, uh, as we know, is, is that enclosed experience? Yeah, so um, with the smart helmet, what you get is a transparent display. So I get to see right through it like I'd be looking through a pair of clear glasses. Uh, but then on, on top of what I see in the real world, I get to see this digital overlay that, that can show me um, uh, you know, very useful markup on the real world. Uh, an example of that is if I were to uh, be repairing an engine and, and there's multiple steps and many things to do, it, it could actually show me with, with arrows and highlights um, where to do each step where to take out the next screw, where, where to move the next component, um, and, and in essence, uh, make me an expert at repairing that engine, even though I may have never, never have done that before. Uh, so this effectively could make someone an expert in, in anything, I guess. Absolutely, and that's the idea, is, is really to do knowledge transfer in real time so that, that people can become an expert and, and then focus on what humans do best, which is being creative problem solvers. Uh, one of the interesting things, though, when you're developing a, a device at this stage where it is, I, I imagine the design will be refined down and refined down, that it, it will become almost as, as easy as wearing maybe a welder's visor or something like that. When you're in that sort of pre-beta stage, um, do you fear that maybe design becomes something of a barrier when selling a new product to people? I think that design is such an important part of the product. It, it has to be pleasant to use. It has to be intuitive. Um, it has to be something that you can wear all day long. You know, if I can only uh, wear a product for a few hours because it, it gives me fatigue or, or, or doesn't the batteries don't last long enough, um, it's a huge barrier to adoption. Um, you know, so what we really focused on with the smart helmet was usability. I could put it on. I could wear it all day long, and, and it would feel just like the hard hat and safety glasses that I was already wearing, but gave me so many more capabilities. Uh, and, and again, seeing as you are focusing with uh, industrial applications, when you see a product fail like Google Glass, is there a bit of you that goes, this is actually really set us back? Or do you go, okay, so it's not working in the consumer space, that's not something we have to worry about? Uh, I, I think it's it's um, definitely more of the latter, and 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 I would argue that yeah, Google Glass was a great success at, at such an early product 
to start the conversation and make people aware of the potential of augmented reality was fantastic. But you know, the consumer market has uh, a very certain a specific set of expectations and a very high sensitivity to price. Um, and, and so I think it's a, it's a definitely a market that comes later. We're, we're, we look at augmented reality at Daiquiri much like uh, cell phones. You know, and the first phones weren't the smartphone that you had in your pocket um, at, at the reasonable prices you get today. The first phones were the size of a briefcase, um, cost you know many thousands of dollars, and, it, and if you uh, you were using it, it was because you were using it at work, and it kept you informed and let you make decisions. Augmented reality is exactly the same way, and, and it's going to successfully transform the way that we work first, uh, and then down the road, it's going to come back for the consumer, and, and and likewise have some some really fantastic changes to the way that we live. I think it's quite apposite that you raised the example of uh, the mobile phone uh, because smartphones only really came into their own when third-party developers got hold of them and went, well, actually, no, we can fill the App Store, all this other cool stuff that you know Apple would have no interest in developing whatsoever. Uh, do you find third-party apps as being um, the key to a device, any sort of device really getting over these days? I, I think that it, it's definitely the way that you get to the tipping point and, and service the larger markets. Um, I mean, the devices have to be inherently valuable. You know, when we look at the app ecosystem, people forget that the phones come with a certain set of apps that already make them useful. You can pull them out of the phone, and they're they're typically a, a quite nice phone. Um, uh, you know, a, a useful internet browser, a number of, of other types of messaging and, and note taking apps that are the kind of the base functionality, and that's what we focused on with a smart helmet. But but then you have to extend that into the developer community. You have to have uh, passionate developers who know specific verticals, the needs of the customers better than we ever would, and, and, and people that are going to build you know, their business models and their service offerings um, around the ability to have augmented reality at work, hands-free, um, and, and then extend it, um, you know, much like the app ecosystem on the smartphones, um, in ways that we never imagined. Some of the things that uh, we looked at upstairs uh, in terms of the demonstrations of what people are doing at the moment were uh, very impressive, but they, they seem to have this sort of uh, four-part approach. I mean, how, how do you recognize when you are seeing a, an alternate reality queue if you were in the world? Yeah, I, I think that um, discovery is a big is a very big part of the experience. You know, you, you, you're wearing the helmet and you can see this digital markup on the real world. Uh, but when do you discover things that have the markup and that have the information around them? Uh, you know, we use things like image and object recognition today, uh, so that very specific pieces of equipment in, in an industrial environment. Um, are marked up in a way that they have digital work instruction, they have additional information from, from uh, other people who wore smart helmets. And uh, when you look at them, the, the helmet actually recognizes that specific object in that place and, and brings brings back the content to you. And, and as more and more people develop and more and more people use it, then uh, more and more objects around you will have this content and will automatically trigger the experience when, when you look at it. So we could be getting to a stage where... Um the helmet might be able to recognize, okay, screw X is, is appropriate for junction Y or something like that, which would be incredibly useful in something like aerospace, where part cataloging really has to be so precise. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that it's already really good at today. And, and one of the early applications is using the computer vision to better understand what you're doing. In the case of having the right fastener that has the right number of turns and is the right size, uh, the computer vision that has a camera from your point of view 
can solve that problem today, and, and, and it makes it a really, really valuable, uh, very, very high ROI um, in a device like this. And I think then it'll extend even more to um, things that, that you wouldn't normally expect to be recognized, the things around you, um, an understanding of the workstation and, and how things go together um, on top of uh, making sure that you're using the right part in, in that assembly. Uh, some of the other sensors that, uh, that are in the helmet at the moment, uh, of course, there's a 360-degree camera, which is sort of uh, essential for any sort of AR um, device. You've also added image, uh, thermal imaging and uh, gaze tracking. So what, what sort of applications do you see uh, those being used straight away? Yeah, great question. Two, two really powerful features on the helmet. The, starting with the thermal camera, um, the, the thermal camera actually lets you see temperature. So you can, you can look at it, uh, again, let's look back at that motor example, and, and you can see the temperatures of the different pieces of the motor. And that's really important because, uh, you know, in, in industrial environments, things tend to heat up before that they break. Um, and so it's very useful if I can see ahead of time uh, that, that something's having a problem, that the temperature's out of range. Um, so it becomes a really, really useful active tool to have that, that, that ability to see temperature. Um, and then uh, another you know, great value of that is not just using it as an active tool, but to use it as a passive tool where the helmet can be checking the temperature of everything that I look at. And if something is out of range, something's very hot, but you can't see it with the, with the naked eye, uh, the helmet can warn you and, and give you an alarm to say, hey, this thing is extremely hot. It shouldn't be hot. And, and, and there could be a potential serious problem. Thank you, Brian. Thank you very much. I'm now talking with uh, Gaia Dempsey, co-founder of Daiquiri, who has also joined me in the wonderful quiet room, uh, hence the echo. Um, first of all, I, I would like to admit my own ignorance and uh, <laughs> be politely corrected on something because I was referring to augmented reality as alternate reality, but of course I am wrong. Um, but at the same time, Gaia, it has opened up a little bit of a conversation. Yeah, not, not, not I wouldn't want to say you were wrong entirely because it is fair to say that it is an alternate reality as well. The term that we use is augmented reality simply because it is a view of the real world and then it is literally augmented with digital information. Um, the term is you know, a bit technical, a bit difficult, so we tend to refer to it as 4D and it's something that makes it approachable and easily understandable by our customer base. Uh, by folks in the education community, in the consumer community. So if you think about 2D design, obviously that's flat. 3D would be you know, designing, a, say, in architecture software or watching a 3D movie. It's behind a screen. It's not interactive. I can't touch it or access it. And then bringing that type of content and narrative into 4D brings it into my world and makes it spatial and interactive. Uh, okay, so now that that is cleared up, um, just to um, talk a little bit about the event that's been going on uh, Friday and, and today. Um, we're out in DCU, we're in the hackerspace, the only one of its kind in Europe. It's got a wonderful industrial feel. Um, but why would you go here instead of, you know, your nice funky new offices somewhere very pleasant in, in uh, Silicon Docks? Well, why out here? So that's a great question. We just opened our first international office in Dublin on Sir John Ronderson's Key. It's a beautiful space, looks right out on the river, would have been a great location for this event if it were big enough. We can fit about 30 people in that space if they're sitting down at a desk and working. We could, pro we could fit more people in there for, for a standing event type of thing. 
Um, but we ended up getting over a hundred RSVPs for this hackathon. And I went around Dublin looking for an, an appropriate venue. And when I saw the DCU Innovation Campus hackathon space, it was perfect for what I was looking for. It's a little bit undone. It's a little bit industrial. It feels like the perfect place to prototype and experiment and collaborate with new people in a way that's informal and comfortable where you can share ideas and try new things, even if you're not sure if they're going to work yet. One of the things that has really impressed me just by uh, going around and getting a flavor for the event this weekend is uh, the level of access developers have to you, um, to you both actually. Uh, People seem very comfortable just sort of collaring you for a few minutes and going, look, I've got idea X, is is this actually going to work? Is cultivating uh, links with the developer community um, really that important? Or, you know, is this a case of we're coming to Ireland, we're keeping our developer base overseas? It is really important to us. It's in, we're being very upfront with the group here that we care about their feedback. We want to hear how they're interacting with our SDK and what they want to build with it um, so that we can continue to evolve it and so that we can build those relationships and links and with the community here. So obviously we're, we're hiring in Dublin. Um, we're hiring across Europe for the Dublin office. And we found some really, really talented folks already. We're thrilled with with the the quality and the expertise uh, that we've come across so far. And we're really excited to continue to expand that and, and, and really build a deep core engineering function here. So that's one of the main reasons that we wanted to be in Europe is that there is the open source um, there's a, there's a there's a strong open source community here. Dacry is a very strong believer as or as an organization in open source. Um, we have a three JS team that we're building here, and that you know that was primarily founded in Europe. Uh, we've been very lucky to find some of the top experts in the world in that technology and bring them into the Dublin office. And likewise, there are several other different types of functions that we've found. So, and been pleasantly surprised at at the quality and just the the amount of activity that's here in Ireland. Um, the other sort of core reason why we wanted to be in Europe is the strong interest that Brian was talking about from aerospace and energy and uh, automation and robotics, uh, chemical plant companies, uh, manufacture industrial manufacturing, pharmaceutical. There's a, a broad range of industries here in Europe that have very strong use cases for the smart helmet. And we've been in touch with many of those companies from the U.S. And being able to have a center here that's closer to them just strengthens our ability to serve those clients. Uh, just on a final point, seeing as AR is such a, a really interesting emerging technology, um, there is always sort of a, a, an element of a selling job being done on the public. And in particular, if you get kids when they're young, get them interested, make it sort of part of what they're interested in in their lives. Do you think that uh, companies across the board, really, whether it be Microsoft or all the, all the way across startups to uh, uh, U.S. companies coming into, uh, into Dublin, do you think there's a responsibility industry-wide to reach out to kids, either through the education system or through initiatives like Coder Dojo or something similar, to uh, encourage more children just to consider software development or technology as just something else that they do? A hundred percent. So this is something we're extremely passionate about at Daiquiri. I spoke at a Smart Futures event uh, about a month ago to a group of high school students about why they should consider jobs 
in the technology industry. And I felt that I had a watertight argument. All of those kids hopefully are going to at least think about it now. We also have two full-time education evangelists at Daiquiri that literally their job is to go around the world and work with students and teachers and give them free software that gives them access to augmented reality as a medium. So Daiquiri has a number of um, products that we actually give away completely for free to anyone in education. Uh, Students and teachers around the world are using them. So Elements 4D is a chemistry application that teaches you how the different elements of the periodic table interact with one another. gives you a very visceral experience of that element. Instead of looking at a diagram on a board, you're actually playing with physical blocks that come to life in augmented reality, and you see what that element looks like, and then you put elements together, and they form a reaction. So it's it's very experiential, and that helps you learn faster. We have another app called Anatomy 4D, and that gives you an interactive 4D experience of the whole human body, and then we also have the human heart, and you can go and see all of the different body systems and how they interact with each other. So that's being used by medical students around the world because not everyone has access to a gross anatomy lab. And if you do, it's limited. So this get, this gives you f- more mileage with the time that you have, and it gives you a, a totally spatial and interactive and intuitive way to study the human body. So our brains are really wired to understand the spatial reality around us. This is how we've evolved for millions of years. So when you have a 4D object and experience, and you're driving the experience, in the order and at the pace that is right for you, you're able to learn much better, retain the information uh, for longer, and learn it faster. And so it's 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 a really it's a really great medium for education. We give Elements 4D and Anatomy 4D away for free, and actually as part of the prizes for the hackathon, every winner is going to get a Daiquiri prize pack with a set of Elements 4D and Anatomy 4D posters. And then we also have a partnership with Crayola that we're working on uh, uh, for kids um, starting at the age of three. So in my, in my presentation at InspireFest, I talked about the audience of people that can create augmented reality. When we started Daiquiri in 2010, there were only a few hundred people in the world that had the ability to create augmented reality because you had to have almost you know either a master's or a PhD in computer vision to be able to do the algorithmic side of it. And we said, that's a very small community of people in the world. What if we made a tool that would empower anyone that could use a 3D design tool, like an AutoCAD tool. And they could build an experience in AutoCAD, export that model, put it into our tool, and then it would come out and and be published in augmented reality. And that's why we started building 4D Studio. And then looking to the future, you know, we looked at um, being able to add scripting capabilities to that and expanding that to, to 18 million people around the world that do HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Going even further into the future today, 100 million people in the world play Minecraft. 30 million of them are children. They are already used to creating in 3D and thinking in 3D and having that spatial experience. So we want to invite them into that into that world and and being able to create an augmented reality is so important. They're going to come to expect it. They're going to come to sort of 
you know, you know, you know the the example of the two year old kid that tries to swipe a TV or tries to swipe a magazine, and they go, "It's broken. It's not working." That's how it's going to be for products and experiences and objects in the future with with 4D experiences. They're going to look around with their hardware device in the f- five ten years in the future, and if it doesn't have 4D on it, they're going to say. That doesn't even have any information on. I can't even. How do I access? How do I get the information behind it? There's nothing there. So it's it's empowering everyone to learn about anything that's around them, and it's empowering everyone to become an artist or a scientist that's able to share their ideas and manifest their ideas and add information and add experiences into the medium around them. Excellent. Thank you very much, Gaia. Thank you for having me. That was Niall Kitson talking to Guy Dempsey and before that, Brian Mullins from Dacry. And you can find out more, a lot more, including a presentation on a video on their website that will just blow you away. It's www.dacry.com, D-A-Q-R-I.com. That's it for our Tech Radio Show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Do remember... You can get hourly updates on tech news along with daily newsletters from techcentral.ie as well as our weekly tech radio show online and every Friday at 6pm on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself and Niall, thank you so much for listening. Take care. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Thank you.